I have met people and I've trained with people and I've learned from them and we've shared and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because all this comes from somewhere and <laughs> not just somewhere but someone. So every, almost everything that I do is um, inspired by someone else. <laughs> it, I feel like I'm not, I'd like to be more creative and I feel like I, there's the potential for that. But actually, mostly what I do is derived very strongly from someone else and I, th- and I hopefully face-to-face as well. That's, that's the best. I mean, you, you live it and you feel it. You feel what they felt when they did it. And then you bring it away with you and you make it your own, but it's not only your own. It came from them. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 99, Josh Witt, Diabetes, Training, and Balance. Diagnosed at age 18, diabetes has simply been a fact of life for Josh Witt. He discusses traveling to Germany and his experiences training and living with diabetes. Josh unpacks why he loves workshops and training with community. He shares stories of how diabetes affects his practice and his thoughts on training and community. Josh Witt is an engineer turned parkour practitioner, coach, and organizer. He is a parkour coach with the Brisbane Parkour Association, of which he is also the vice president, and has traveled globally to visit other communities and events. Josh has been training parkour for many years, despite being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes prior to beginning his training. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 99. 99. That means episode 100 would be next, and I wonder what we have in store. But thanks for listening. Welcome, Josh. It's a pleasure to see you. I haven't talked to you in two plus years now. Did we we started trying to figure this out. Was it 2018? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. The last time we spoke would have been in every. In every. Oh, life is hard, right? Remember, remember when we could travel? Let's start with let's start with Germany. <laughs> that might sound non sequitur to people, but you I think you messaged me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm moving to Germany to look for a job. Like you, you had decided to just go there. So I want to talk a little bit about what prompted you to go and like what your mindset was like when you decided, I'm going to Germany. So you had said, you're going to Germany, going to Frankfurt, right? To look for a job in engineering. So what prompted you to leave Brisbane and maybe why Germany? Yes. Well, I have a background, a hereditary background to Germany. My mother is German. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the years, I have made my way there for experiencing another culture and visiting family. And so over a period of uh, roughly when that decision was made, that was about 10 years, I saw what it was like and I got to experience the life and the culture, at least as a tourist. And finally, I decided that I would try to take the plunge and completely change my point of view, um, my life track, I guess, and take the actually take the opportunity to use my dual citizenship as well. Which, uh, take advantage, yes. Did you, 
did you have an idea of what kind of job like you were going to apply for? Or was it literally like I'm off the plane, where's the apartment listings to look for a place to stay? Or like how, how planned versus unplanned was that? It was somewhere in between. So I did actually apply for a couple of engineering jobs unsuccessfully. There are some fairly, uh, what would you call it, um, cutting-edge uh, companies in the aerospace industry there. And so I applied for those as sort of like my dream uh, shoot for the shoot for the, the fence, yeah. Yeah, um, unsuccessfully. But then I sort of, I think I had an, a little bit of an about face after that. And then eventually, and then after that, I approached it from a more um, open-minded perspective. So not just mm. engineering, but anything that I thought I could do that I might enjoy more or would be more, yeah, more enjoyable, I guess. Um, what prompted you to want to leave? Uh, first of all, how long have you been in Brisbane? So if your mother's from Germany, were you born in, I, I guess you're born in Australia, but citizenship from your mom in Germany. What, prompted you to want to leave have you always been in brisbane what prompted you to want to change i don't i don't know the climate of brisbane but i'm wondering like i don't think it strikes me as that different like here at brisbane's a city and frankfurt's i mean they're different cultures but why why what made you want to move yeah that's a i think that's a good question especially since brisbane is one of the easiest places to live it's it's called i think it's called the live one of the livable the, the most livable city in australia and mm. australia is probably one of the most livable cities in the world so it would seem like an odd move to move away from what some people class as paradise i wasn't i wasn't um, implying it was odd i was just i'm always curious in transition so when i see or hear or you know watch someone make a big change i'm like well wait what was the you know there was a day where you went to sleep and you're like oh, i love Brisbane. And then there's a morning wake up like, you know, I think I could love Frankfurt too. You know, like how did that, what was the transition? Yeah, I should probably make clear. Um, Frankfurt was not my ideal goal. It was more like general, probably Southern, Southern Germany was sort of the aim, but I think it was simply the, 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 the need or the, the perceived need to experience a different culture from within that culture and not simply as a visitor. Um, and also appreciate it, appreciating it um, from a maybe anthropological is the right word. So mm-hmm. the actual human culture I felt was different, and that's probably just my perspective, but I guess that's all that matters. So I felt like it was maybe in my genes to um, have a German or a European maybe, European mindset of how to approach people, how to communicate with people, how they live in general, I guess. That's sort of what I was experiencing on my trips there. And then I thought, okay, I've, I've experienced enough trips, enough holidays. It's now time to immerse myself more. And I didn't mind like leaving. It didn't feel like I was leaving Brisbane forever, you know. That's, that's where I was coming from. And I had also moved. I had experienced a year traveling in Europe. And that had also cemented my wish to again immerse myself in the, in a different different culture, different way of being. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, how old are you? Yeah. Gonna... It works. I am now thirty-seven. Forty-seven, not thirty-seven, right? 30, 30, 30. 37. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were forty when we met. Okay, but I'm wondering. 
Can you remember, say, five years ago or 10 years ago, how different was your life? Like, you know, before and the, the, a lot of music stuff happened, like you get to Europe and like, oh, by the way, COVID, right? So like all this stuff is changing. But but just still looking at that, leaving Brisbane and, and maybe let's try Germany. Can you remember what you were like five years before you left Brisbane or maybe 10 years before Brisbane? Like was, do you feel like, I, I personally don't think, what drew you to Europe was wanderlust. Cause when I met you in every, you were, you were just like super chill. I mean, like literally chill, but also psychologically chill. And it was just like, Hey, Oh, how you doing? But I it was just like, sometimes I run into people in, you know, far from my home and they're also a tourist and they're like super crazy. It's like, wow, this is awesome. Not my crazy, like bad, but crazy, like totally almost drunk on the experience. And you were just like, totally like this, just, just rocks. <laughs> So I love running into people like that. And I'm wondering when, was there a time when you weren't, I think that chillness is part of what makes you go, yeah, I could see myself in Germany. Let's, let's try that. And I'm wondering if there was a time when you were in Brisbane, but you weren't that chill. And then maybe that's, you know, the transition to the, the chill 35, 36 year old Josh is what then made you feel free to make the change. Right. Right. Um, I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure if you have, got the right track you might be but i feel like it's more um I'm, i've always been fairly chill about mm. about practically everything <laughs> or i maybe that's the outward appearance and maybe inside i'm going a bit nuts or like maybe i'm also drunk on the on the experience but i don't show it or yeah something like that um i don't feel like there was ever a time where i would would have gone ballistic about you know, being in a different uh, place, um, I I think I internalize it. I, I appreciate it internally and I, I don't feel the need to, you know, express that exuberantly. I think that's simply my personality type, um, which could be something to work on, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't think it was wasn't criticizing. I was just... Yeah. yeah. I feel like that there was ever a time like five or ten years before I made the move that mm. I would have been more you know exuberant i guess and more creative hey i've got to do this i've got to do this it was always yeah my decisions um tend to be quite what would you call it uh, they take time they take time and then eventually i come to a decision and then that's it and it's it's going to happen and i sort of let it happen in a way that's hmm. so i i say this all the time these conversations were like walking down a really big street. If you're in the New York City, I always like to say, if you're a walk down Broadway, you could just spend the entire day walking down Broadway and every block is something interesting. There's side streets, there's people, there's experiences, there's food, there's sounds. New York City kicks ass since they killed the horns. When I was there in the 80s, it was all traffic horns from the cars. And I don't know what they, they changed the law. So now there's a fine if you blow your horn. So now the, the taxis are like, meep excuse me, like, I mean, like there's very, very little usage of the horn and it's so pleasant. But anyway, these conversations are like strolling down a really big, busy street with lots of options for us to talk about. So when I pause and look like, I don't know what to do, it's because I've got nine ideas. One of the things I want to be sure that we get to is, and I, I want to approach this kind of cautiously because I don't want to turn you into the, please educate us all on diabetes. But I want to talk a little bit about how... Uh, so maybe first of all, we should do type one diabetes, which I think most people have heard of, but they're not, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it's because you ate too much sugar or whatever. Like, no, no, that's not that kind. Um, but what is type one diabetes? And maybe also when did you find out 
when did you find out for sure? And maybe when did you, in hindsight, go, oh, you know what? I, I should have realized that, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. So just quick, like, what is it? And then when and when should you? So um, there are two types, two main types that people have probably heard of, type one and type two. And type two is more common. And it is not always, but generally considered to be more related to lifestyle. Again, not always, but it's more considered to be related to lifestyle, whereas type 1 is more related to genetics or potentially a viral uh, onset or things that they haven't actually diagnosed me with, so they don't know what caused type 1 diabetes in me. But the other difference is that type 1 is a lack of insulin generation or creation in the body. So the body either makes far too little or most often no insulin and insulin is what uh, transports the sugar from your bloodstream into your cells that use the sugar to metabolize and have energy Mm. whereas type 2 is more generally a resistance to insulin so a person with type 2 could be making insulin but they're not able to utilize it so that's the main difference between the two and I've got type 1 and it's coming from the pancreas. It's a, it's a pancreatic, generally a pancreatic issue. And when did you, uh, when did, when did that, when was that like, oh, sorry, Josh, you have dot, dot, yes. dot. Really quick. I think for type, type 1 diabetes, I think the diagnoses are generally very quick, whereas with type 2, maybe it can, I'm not 100% sure, but I think with type 2, it can potentially drag on before the person goes and sees someone about it. But for me, it was a period of maybe one week where it was just, Fairly normal, had no idea that I, that anything was up, and then a week later I had to go to the doctor to get a to get a. And how old were you when that happened? I was eighteen. So, so oh, right in the middle of like maximum activity. But very fortunately, I think just out of high school. So, mm. for some kids who get it in high school, I, I'm, I've got respect for sympathy for them because having to deal with that stuff while you're going through school and all the issues around that Mm. is another layer again i guess can you talk me through so i i was going to say you know once you learn something you're like you like reassess all the things you're like did i miss i don't think i would have ever guessed that when i met you in every um nice shirt by the way everybody in case you don't know what what or where or who we're talking about so every uh, E-V-R-Y um, is the name of a town, a small suburb of Paris in France, obviously. And there's an event that happens there mm, five years running now, like now they're fifth or fourth. And that's where we met just randomly. I think we were at the third or the fourth. I can't even remember anymore. I think I missed the first two. Anyway, point of this giant diatribe is I went to a uh, parkour event that's run by the Yamakasi in, in like the birthplace of parkour, Art du Placement, as they call it. And you were also at the event. So we was like, oh, hey, look, English speakers. Yes. You know, like we tend, they tend to gravitate to each other. And we train together and you're in better shape than I am. And I think you, you know, like physically can do more than I can. So I would have never went like, wow, you strike me as a type one diabetic. So I'm wondering, is... Uh, it, it, do you agree with that read? Like it doesn't seem to slow you down or and was there a time when it did or is it just like, oh yeah, I figured that out when I was 18 plus two months and now it's just part of who I am? 
that question pretty much nails um, what I feel I need to communicate to people about about it for me. And so that is that um, I, I think I started out for a long time when I got it um, with the mindset that I wouldn't like uh, project it to anyone. Mm. So I think that's, again, because my personality, I wouldn't uh, – I would try to hide it essentially that I, that I had it um, not in a, like, uh, like I need to hide this, but just if I can, I just won't um, project that it's a thing for me. Maybe and this disease doesn't identify me. It yeah, doesn't define me. So I, for a long time, like years and years and years, that's how I would deal with it. And it's only re- quite recently, maybe over the last five or six years that I've started to take it on board as more. Look, this is, what I, this is it, maybe it doesn't define me, but it's what I have to deal with, and therefore, why can't anyone else know about that? So that would have been part of your partly answering your question in that I was actually making a point of not projecting to anyone that it was a thing, and then I guess I was fortunate in that it didn't slow me down that much, and that's just sort of luck because um, there are different levels or severities of the of the condition and it so happens that I don't have as random a sugar level control as some other people have. So yes, I have to pay just as much attention to it as they do, but it seems to be a little bit smoother for me. So I think that's partly the reason why I didn't have to project it to people. I would be like, like for some people who with type one, if they were in every and they were at the training event, they would have to project it because they'd be like in the next five minutes I could collapse in front of you collapse in front of you why that is whereas for me i for a long time it just wasn't that way for me so i could get away with pretending to everyone that that i didn't have it um and so so it's quite fortunate and i managed it um yeah just that's how i managed it and Mm. it was not easy but but it worked so i can explain how how it would affect me if you yeah, sure. I mean, I'm super interested. I, I I did all my Wikipedia homework and I went, this is complicated. I mean, I, but yeah, I'm curious to know what you think are the aspects of it and the features of it that you would want to share with people like the, of the disease. I think a dis- I want to give a disclaimer and that disclaimer is that I'm not a, an endocrinologist, but a specialist on diabetes. And again, with the, the, my mindset of not projecting it to anyone else, I sort of didn't project it for myself either. So I didn't become mm. an expert on it. I was just sort of like, look, I'll do what they tell me to do and I'll manage it as best I can, but that's that's it. And the rest I'll just ignore. If the doctor mm. says I'm doing well, then I'm going to hear, hear, hear the doctor and say, yes, I'm doing well and I'll keep doing what I do. So I'm not an expert, but um, I can tell, I think what I can share is the fact that I have it and hopefully people will um get something out of that, the, the fact that I have combined two activities and I have an experience of some sort. Mm. <laughs> so um, with with diabetes, you can have hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. Hypo is low blood sugar, um, so l- lack of the normal uh, level of sugar in the blood, and hyper is too much over the normal level of sugar in the blood. Um, generally with exercise, so specific to parkour or any other physical activity, hypers, hypo, sorry, so hypo with an O at the end will be what the immediate aspect requiring. Immediate <laughs> That's practice. where the wall is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So that's when uh, there's so little sugar in the blood to be transported into the cells that the cells, including the muscle cells, don't get the energy they need. So you're literally trying to move muscles that don't aren't being fed with the source of energy. That's hypo, and that'll stop you um, fairly quickly. So to combat that, you whether you noticed at the time or whether people noticed, I would have probably sugary things with me. Um, so bars are the easiest thing because they don't, you know, they've got a wrapper, so you don't have to like they're not um, jelly beans which can go everywhere. A bar is one thing. You open it up, you eat it, and it's, it's all good. Mm. So that would have been why I do that because otherwise I would not touch confectionery. I don't not, but I don't have a sweet tooth, so I don't I really. I almost have an anti-sweet tooth. I'm so sick of having to eat sweets as a form of, of uh, intervention. Yeah, so that's one thing I would do, and that's the main. That was the main um, preventative measure that I, would, when I felt felt um, lightheaded or weak, essentially, is what you feel. I think everyone feels everyone can have a hypo at some point in their life. Everyone probably has. So when you haven't eaten much and you demand your body to move a lot, your body can, mm-hmm. your, your body's controls can, despite the fact that you don't have type 1 diabetes, can still be over, what do you call it? Over, overtaxed. And- overtaxed, exactly. And so if you've ever felt weak and you're just like oh, plodding along, it could be because you've got slightly low blood sugar. Um, so that's what I feel. And that's, that's another thing. Um, type 1 diabetics, the doctor asks me, how sensitive are you? So can you feel Can you feel what's going on? Because that's important as well. If you can't feel it, then you end up collapsing with no um, warning signs. No warning. Do you, did you do, do you test yourself? Like do you go, oh, I think that feels like hypo and then do a quick blood sugar test to see like how, how good you are at, um, are you able to like dial in that spidey tingle sense for yeah, how accurate good. you can become? <laughs> spidey tingle sense, I like that. Um, it changes from from day to day, from week to week, which is one of the annoying things. So sometimes you'll think, "Yeah, I've got it. I've got it dialed. I know exactly when things are what they are." But then sometimes it'll throw you, like maybe you have a bit of an infection or some other stressor. Is it'll throw it out, and then you've got to re recalculate again. So yes, that's testing is another thing which has changed recently. So I recently got one of these things. Which oh, okay. It's a um, continuous glucose monitor. So that enables me to use a near field communication device. It's a little thing about that big. And it allows me to see whenever I want um, what the blood sugar level is, which is a huge advantage compared with finger prick testing. Right. Well, plus you could be like, okay, the thing, and what if I eat this? And then you can just watch, and like, yeah, it's not like it's, you know, and then you could actually treat food more like a tool or particular types of food in particular boluses as tools. Yes, that's a, that's the huge advantage of it. You can start to understand how your body reacts, and not just like uh, use a blunt instrument to. Mm. I've just eaten a huge bar of sugar, so I know that I'll be. I heard and I was, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Hyperglycine coming at you. It strikes me that there's an interesting, I was going to say a lesson, but I don't mean like, let's get all preachy. There's an interesting takeaway about most, I, I'm always hesitant to say everyone, but most of the people that I've ever talked to in ADD, parkour, free running, even any, like people in circus, they're really 
the type of people who treat their body like something that they want to tweak. You know, they're like, I need a rest day or you know, people who are in the twenties discovering what a rest day is. You're like, oh, you're in that age. You're like, you know, like people, they really, I don't want to say hack, but they really fiddle with how they train, what they train, what they eat, how they sew, all these things. And for you, that's not an option. Like you need, you, well, you wouldn't have to do it, but like life is much better if you do. So I'm wondering if there's maybe any lessons that you have about how becoming I was going to say hyper aware, but I don't mean to make a hypo hyper reference, but having, I think, become hyper aware of how you feel and how your subjective perception is connected to how you physically are. I'm wondering if you have any takeaways about like, yeah, that I didn't realize it, but that really changed this other part of my life or that affects relationships or my emotional, I'm like wondering what else there is in there about you have a hypersensitivity to that or you have that hypersensitivity, how has that changed or affected the rest of your life? Yes, I think it definitely has um, for a start. And I think there are more than one. So maybe the first, not the first, but maybe the most general and overarching one is to be kind to yourself. And that definitely reminds me of the the training uh, terminology or method or philosophies that, w- that we've heard from mm. people like the Yamakazi and their, their uh, people who they've trained um, is yes, you can, you can work yourself very hard. Um, but at some point you also have to listen to your body and understand mm. that if you just twinged your shoulder, then doing 50 muscle ups is probably not the best thing for you to do. Um, and I guess that what you're talking about with hyper awareness, that, that's sort of what happens is that you cannot, you don't go to that extreme anymore. If you've twinged your arm and then you do 50 lashes, you don't, it's, that's no longer even, it's way more sensitive than that. It's, do you feel off right now? So should you be doing that one and a half meter precision to that low wall? Because mm-hmm. if you, if that off feeling causes you to miss that wall, it's going to suck. <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of like it, it doesn't force you because I didn't feel forced and there, but I had to learn over a long period of time that, wait a minute, if I, if I actually start listening to what my body's telling me, the, the outcome is better, even if it might um, hurt the ego at the time. That's a, that's a huge practice. I was going to say it might be the best thing in the world for ego because I don't want to say ego is necessarily the enemy, but for, I know in my personal journey, you know, there was a long period of Craig the ego and and like part of what I got out of all different kinds of physical training, martial arts and everything was coming to terms with that. I realized like, oh, that I don't have to necessarily be that version of myself. And it it's like uh, maybe the carrot versus the stick. So you got the stick version of learning that lesson and I got the carrot version of learning the lesson. But I think it it sounds to me from what I know, you know, we've had uh, not a man, not a million, but a bunch of dinners and hung out. It's, it sounded to me like you got, I was going to say a pleasant, but I always hate to tell people who have like a systemic disease, you had a pleasant time, but you had a pleasant journey. You didn't, sounds to me like you didn't ever really get bashed on the head with like, no, you can't go outside and play anymore. Your life is now over. You had more of a like, well, that avenue of insanity is, you know, that other people might choose. That avenue of insanity is closed. I'm going this way. And um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It was quite a, was quite a um, gentle transition. Yes. 
because did the you have another did you have another takeaway you mentioned you had a couple of takeaways and you said the first one that came to mind was the was what you said and then i'm not sure if i'll be able to think of them but i'm sure they have been <laughs> that's okay uh, if it pops up just bring it back up it doesn't yeah. have to be me driving the entire time did you do that bridge hang drop i did i thought you did i was trying to that's probably captured on i mean i don't know maybe if your drop your specific drop is captured but the, the thing i'm talking about has got to be on youtube somewhere but I, that was one of those things where i was like yeah no i'm not i'm not doing that <laughs> it was a climb down on an overpass so there's a road that's kind of set into a cut so the overpass was up a little bit but most of the road was down a lot of it and it was i don't know how far was it it was a like a 30 inch steel i-beam to climb over a guardrail on the street climb down and then get to hang on the lower flange and man you are committed at that point um and then i would say your feet were probably meter and a half two meters at least off the ground it was a drop so it's a dead hang and then you're like well i can let go or i can just dead hang until i let go (laughs) that was one of the one of the Many, and I, I use that word uh, subjectively um, because many, counting on maybe on your fingers, to, you know, like not hundreds, but uh, a number of uh, moments that were defining for me in terms of the experience that I got from attending workshops like every, especially mm-hmm. every, but um, other workshops as well. What where, made you climb over the guard? Like, the guardrail is just like a low a low thing, and there's not a ton of traffic, and you, you were hanging over the shoulder, so you're not going to like – get killed by a car but it's a drop what made you because because i watched from the side and i was like no <laughs> what what made you climb over the guardrail and try it so i think two things two major things one um i i knew that i wasn't gonna die or i wasn't gonna get severely injured there was a chance that i'd stuff it up and get somewhat injured <laughs> love that was- i love that phrase that's so great sorry <laughs> So there was there was that the fact that I've had a lot of experience and I sort of know what I'm capable of. Mm. But on top of that, it was and this is why I call it a defining moment or one of those defining moments was the way that the workshops are run, either intentionally or subconsciously. I'm not really sure which, but the way that they're run, the way that it comes across to me is that they're progressive. From every in every session, it seems to be a progression towards some sort of progress, you know, some sort of um, leap, some sort of, um, it doesn't have to be a literal leap, but some sort of um, epiphany every time a session is run. So it starts off with the warm-up and then it, it just gets more and more involved. And I think the energy of the people and the people running it, so Yamikaze in this, in this case, just lends itself into a natural um, point where you trust the suggestions that are being made to you, which is climb over this railing and drop off the bridge. You trust that the person understands where you're at and that they will help you if you need it and that you're allowed to back away if you don't want to do it. All of those things come into this like zone, basically. I felt like I was in the zone of, yep, I can do this, I'm going to do this, and it will be, it'll be totally fine. And I've experienced that multiple times, and it's – and I think it's not by accident. It's as in like there is a very good reason why it comes, it culminates in a, an experience like that. 
due to the organization and the way that it's run. Did you get that sort of, does that ring a bell for you as well? I would completely agree with the progressive aspect of it. I'd also agree with the thing you said earlier about it's very uh, approachable. And the, and the it I'm referring to is how the Yamakasi teach. Uh, it's very approachable. <laughs> I'm, I'm like visualizing Williams leading the physical thing in front of the fountain. <laughs> we're just we're doing various QM, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And eventually I was just like, yeah, no, I need to go sit down. Um, so it's very approachable and it's very much as long as you're honest uh, about how you're pushing yourself, you, you know, you can back away. So yeah, I agree with you 100% on all that. And what I'm thinking about is like, did I have any epiphanies? And And then I went on this little mental tangent of, Hmm. If I can't think of an epiphany, does that mean that I didn't have an epiphany? And is that maybe part of my, I don't want to say waning interest in events, but like I'm not losing my shit looking forward to going to parkour and ADD events in 21. I'm just kind of like, yeah, maybe I'll go, but I really don't feel like I'm, uh, this is not me off on a personal tangent, but I don't think I'm missing. I'm like, I don't feel like I missed anything in 20. I mean, there are a lot of events that I didn't go to, but I don't feel like I, there's anything missing from my life. So when you say, Craig, does your, you know, do the epiphanies track? I'm like, I don't know. The epiphanies that I had at that event were centered around like I did a, a very, a very different interview that I hadn't done, um, a different kind of structure, like me and the person having the conversation. We, we did the whole thing differently. And that was super interesting. I had a lot of really cool meals with really awesome people. I also got a chance to hang out with all my friends, uh, Yamakasi, people from around the world. But I'm like, did I have any epiphanies? I think for me, the epiphany is always, um, what would be the opposite of an epiphany? <laughs> like for me, I'm too hard on myself. So, basically nonstop. The voice that I have is like, really? That's that's all you got? You can't, you know, I don't give a shit that you're 40 or whatever, like 45 or 46 or 47. Shut up, you know? So for me, it's always the, I'm excited if I can manage to just like be okay with sucking, like in my own mind. It's like, that's, a, <laughs> I think I've had the bad epiphany years ago, but I don't know that I had any really good dug deep and did something that that really I felt moved me, you know, like up or forward or, you know, another step through my journey. And maybe I should look more at that. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that highlights that maybe I want to put it a slightly different way. And that is that those situations that they create or have created lends itself to someone having an epiphany. Maybe that's not the right word either, but it, it generates the potential. Yeah, for some sort of transition. Yeah. For whoever's ready for it, for whatever it is, um, doesn't have to be jumping off the at all. And yeah, describes is equally equally valid. You know, that's something else that's still part of the social structure and is still within the workshop. So I wouldn't um, downplay that either. I was thinking about, and and we're talking about the drop as if you know this isn't a drop off the Empire State Building. <laughs> many many people have done the drop. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, as a thing that they've done, you know, and I think every single person that I saw do the drop, nobody got injured in any way, shape or form. Like nobody even turned an ankle. So um, it is a relatively safe thing to do. I, I would not do it. Like it would not be a good idea for me to try it um, just because that's too much of a drop and impact. But um, yeah. I think maybe, maybe a way to look at it, which may be right or wrong, but whoever did it um, that day was in that zone that I, that I felt. And 
they created the potential for those people at their level to be like, oh, yes, I'm going to do this. And I feel it's, I feel like it's the right time. Maybe some of them have done it already, like some of the um, assistant coaches, they would have done it too. Right. Um, there were also progressions that they, that they challenged for, the, for those guys as well. So maybe they hadn't done those progressions. Did you, do you remember that? They were doing some other stuff as well. Um, rather than I, just, I think by that point, in whatever day that was, that was that was the day that <laughs> I'm just laughing because, like, if you ever want to sign up for like, what did I do? It's like just decide you're going to train with Williams all day. So he started us in the morning, and then like off we went, and it was it was um, it was so much fun to we we started in the town of Every, and then we went over to Lease. The drop is over in Lease, and it was just so much fun to just play with him like okay we're going over here we can do this and we do this like completely ridiculous made up qm challenge you know and then we're gonna run over here and like it just it went it went on and on but by the time we got to the bridge i was mostly like okay my goal was to just keep the group in sight like just know where i'm supposed to be (laughs) so i wind up at the place i'm supposed to wind up at so that that it was so far i don't want to say it was so far beyond what i was capable of but like the whole like that day was beyond like you know like I'm, i kept looking in the in the atp pile and i'm like no <laughs> we need to reserve atp for walking so um, but that also is a lesson um well it's a lesson that other people can take away it was like i went to what i'm going to say is arguably the most impressive art to deplacement event uh, in, even including pk jen's Noun, look up, fail, uh, the town, the mountain town in, um, yeah, it'll come to me, but you know, even including that one, which I haven't been to, um, Morzine, thank you. Morzine is, I, I wouldn't, I, it can't be more of a physical challenge, but it could certainly be the same kind of mental challenge. Mm. Anyway, I'm, I'm off rambling. My, my point being that for me, the mental challenge was to participate at whatever level I could through the duration of the whole thing and and not have it be what I would have done years previously where have it be a suffer fest where I can just show up and literally put my head down and you know be the bull uh, and push slog through it um, whereas that event was like yeah uh, the complete exhaustion line that was like three hours ago you know but I'm still here I'm still smiling I'm still having fun I'm still sharing my water with people you know um, that's and, that and, and there's something, there's an experience of being present when other people, uh, I was going to say take their leap, but when they make their advances, um, you know, so it was just as cool for me to be there when you did your drop. Um, it wasn't like, oh, everybody's doing the drop. I really should do the drop. It's, there, there, there isn't a peer pressure aspect to it. Um, super, super fun. It's you that other perspective as well, because um, everyone is in a way, um, obviously experiencing events um, from their own perspective, um, through their own eyes. So it's good to hear your perspective as well um, in that particular aspect of like that that day with Williams, um, which I hadn't really considered up to this point. I had sort of only considered it from my eyes. Um, so that's interesting to hear that. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so fun there. to watch the dynamic of when you've seen it, but when one sees Williams training with other people, if you're just watching clipped, uh, edited, you know, like a supercut, you might think that he's this crazy slave driver, but it's like, no, it's, uh, it's everything that he offers to you uh, comes from his heart. And I mean, and all the guys are like this, but we're talking about a day of training with Williams. Um, you know, that, 
the environment that he creates is really open and welcoming to everybody. It's not like he doesn't like glance over his shoulder at the people sitting in the shade, like, what are you doing? You know, he's just like, I saw what you did before. That was awesome. You know, and now these people are doing this awesome. And then we're going to go there and do that awesome. And then we're all going to go do this. You know, it's just, if you had any more fun smiling wider, the top of your head would fall off. You know, it's like one of those days. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a very important aspect of, um, face-to-face contact is so much more it's just so much more that you cannot necessarily certainly not easily represent um through the lens of a camera yeah difficult if not impossible so that is oh so many things uh what's was there anything that was i think we hit one already but was there anything on your mind that you were thinking before we started i hope we get to talk about can you, sorry, I missed the last part of oh, that. Oh, sorry. That's because I stopped talking. <laughs> you left a hanging ellipse there. I said, is there anything that you were thinking before we started today uh, that you wanted to be sure that we get to talk about? Oh, yeah, right. I had I had uh, a story that I could, I've got quite a few stories, but I was thinking which which one um, would be most appropriate and whether it should be like um, a diabetes-related one or whether it should be completely unrelated to that, basically all parkour stories. Um, so what, would you have a preference as to whether you hear one? No, I, lo- I mean, what people choose to share and how they tell the story tells you just as much about them as the story itself. So, uh, yeah, whatever story or stories you want to share is fine by me. Okay, great. So how about I could share two um one could be diabetes one will be diabetes related Uh, it's just a small anecdote of an experience um of what happens when the diabetes shows itself in its uh forms when you're training and the other one will be uh to honor a friend Uh, just a a small training experience i had with a friend that sounds yeah that sounds great so so, you know, IG, of course, International Gathering in, uh, in Sleilza in Denmark. It's, I think that's where we also... <laughs> I think that's we where we met, was at Sleilza at uh, IG. And then it was like, a lot of people there do that. They double head, they go, because it's the next adjacent week, they go down to every. Yes, so uh, it was a year that, um, I think it was maybe the year that you didn't, that was 2019, I think, um, the last time I went. So we were doing the the uh, the last day, you know, the last day. <laughs> we, we, uh, we followed Martin around, essentially. <laughs> uh, Martin, let's go for a run. Oh, God. <laughs> Martin Miguelso. Yeah. Yes. So we followed Martin and his coach buddies around. Uh, Martin runs and his coach buddies uh, come up with wicked ideas of extra training for people to do while they're running around. And it's generally speaking a very tough two hours, I think, yeah. of work. And generally what happens as well is we have a big meal beforehand, which the coaches generally tell us, please try not to eat much. Yeah, don't eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, it's, because it's the international gathering and the food is amazing, I find it difficult not to, so... Generally, I have um, a lot of food, and it seems the pattern is that I inject appropriate. So, this is insulin. When I say inject, I'm talking about insulin. Uh, I inject the appropriate amount for that amount of food, taking into trying to take into consideration the two hours that follow. 
And uh, in the past, I've generally been okay. Like it's been pretty good. I've managed to go through the two hours without too much problem. Um, but this time I overcompensated or I didn't compensate enough at all. And uh, about halfway through, we were doing a, a – we got – I and a bunch of other guys and girls got picked out to do the wrestling. Did you do the wrestling? Yeah, uh, we did the wrestling in 2018. Yeah, I was not there in 2019. Yeah, so that was happening again, and that was one of them. And so basically for that short period of time, maybe five between five and ten minutes, we would do grappling until your shoulders are on the ground, um, and then you'd repeat for mm. until you're tired, I guess. <laughs> and I didn't realize at the time that I was that my blood sugar was going lower and lower, and that was one of the times where the sensitivity, for whatever reason, was not high. So I was not aware of what was going on. And besides, when you are working really hard, you you are supposed to feel tired when you're working. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> that looks like another signal that's common at that time. Yeah, so it's either ignoring it for that reason or simply because I wasn't sensitive to it. But for whatever reason, I think it was on the second the second bout, I was with Morton, if you remember. Martin. Uh, Morton. Um, I, I don't want to interrupt your story. Keep going. Um, so I was, I was really trying hard. And then when I finally got – when he finally overcame me, which he would have done anyway, um, but – um, so I didn't last very long, but uh, when I tapped out, I was like completely finished. I completely wrecked, and I felt like I think it was that experience of just being completely shattered, like emotionally and physically. Mm. And I think that's where the the body was like at the point where I could no longer, my brain could no longer override <laughs> override the physiology, and so everything just sort of went blah, um, mm. and I pretty much broke down just right there. And that was the sign then that they knew something was up. And then I finally let them know that, oh, by the way, so that was really not good on my part. This is another, maybe this is another lesson. Oh, it's a similar lesson, but another aspect, another angle on it is to let people know uh, that you have the, that you have a condition that affects how you operate because that saves a lot of time and it saves energy and it might save your life. Mm. So that was really not good of me to not do that. I've learned my lesson now. But so then I was able to say that like by the way I have type one diabetes and I probably need some some food right now which I didn't have on me. Um so they were very they were awesome. They they looked after me really, really well. Um took me into the shade and gave me juice which perked me up pretty well. It was one of the worst one of the not the worst but one of the harder hyperglycemic um, episodes I've had. Um, but they were awesome. They looked after me excellently, and I really appreciate it. And then they took me down to the finish where, I don't know if it happened in 2018, but they were doing the water the water fight. Or not the water fight. The, yeah, the, the, the water slide? No, just like they would get a hose and just hose everything. Oh. Yeah, no, we, in 2018, it was droughts are us. There was like no water anywhere. The grass was dead. Nobody was allowed to use water all around water rations. <laughs> so you just got water rations. <laughs> yeah. Was the grass green on the pitch in 19? Yes. Yes. Because oh. when I went in 17, it was, there's a giant football, the soccer. Most of the listeners are from the United States. It's a soccer pitch. I'm going to play volleyball in the sand. Anyway, yeah, in 20. 
when I went in 2018, it was like a brown desert. Everything was dead from the lack of water. Thank you for sharing that story because I think it's a, an honest, not a wake up call for yourself, but it takes some takes some chutzpah to like own up to, you know, I really should have, you know, maybe not quite gone that far, but at the very least, I should have pre-staged people who knew what was going on. The coaches should have all been aware. But then the other side of that is if they're all aware, are they going to treat me the same? And like, I don't know, it's a, an interesting that's question. Also, that's also part of the whole, like hiding it or keeping it under wraps. Is just, um, oh, well, there are two sides to it, actually. The one is that you don't want to be treated differently necessarily. And two, I don't want to make excuses for myself. That's another thing. It's like, I don't, yeah, once you've, it's sort of like, it feels like once you've let the cat out of the bag, then all of a sudden, or from then on, from that point into the future, mm. you've got this go-to excuse, which is just, to me, that was one thing that held me back, I think, a lot too. And that's something that I just, I think, I've accepted now. And it's like, well, if if that's what I feel or if that's what other people feel I'm doing, then that's just, they're going to have to deal with that and I'm going to have to deal with it. It's like, yeah. It's it's either either one or the other, and I've chosen the the one where it's mm. people know, and it, that means I'm going to be I'm protecting myself and ensuring longevity and that sort of thing, um, and also uh, helping other people not to stress so much about me after the fact. But it also means that I'm opening myself up to that that easy out of like oh, I'm not going to participate because. I need to eat right now. You know, it just leaves that option open. But is, but is that really a hazard for you? Like, do you really think that you're going to take the easy out? I don't think Josh is going to take the easy out. Well, that's, well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I would like that to be the case, that that's never happened. That never happens. But yeah, that's, that's one other aspect that I've thought about, which has to, which I feel has to be taken into account. And that's, that's just how it is. Um, but it was, it was, in a way, it was a great experience to, to finally, um, understand that people need to know and that they would take care of me in an incredible way, which they did. Um, and there was no, no negative after that. It was, there was no negative impact of that decision, you know, or of that occurrence. It was all positive. So that was a great great thing to happen, I think. And I didn't, you know, it wasn't a huge medical emergency. (laughs) Again, to reiterate, some people in that situation, that would be a massive medical emergency. But because I'm fortunate with my particular uh, condition, it's less so. I've got an easier time of it. Yeah. And you said you had two stories? Yes. So the other one is not diabetes related and... It's, it's just one of those stories again like I feel like there are a lot of moments especially since I've not only but especially having gone to events in Europe where I meet there's a condensed um, time frame of meeting inspirational people mm. um, and for whatever reason that doesn't happen as much in Australia I think it's a lot to do with the fact that we're a huge country and it's difficult to travel it's expensive we'll just call it a continent right level of population so the people who do various disciplines there are just fewer of us in every Mm -hmm. discipline Um, whereas again in Europe it's more condensed so 
I met an inspirational person called Federico, and his nickname was Gato, and he's from Italy, Paracore Wave. Sadly, he passed away two years ago, which affected me quite quite greatly, uh, surprisingly. Um, but I, he taught me a lot in a very short period of time, which sort of blew me away at the time. So this is one anecdote of like my experience with that. So I stayed with him in uh, his old town. They called it Chitalta, Chitalta, which is raised city. So that's like an old town where you've got the wall all mm. around and the low-lying sort of suburbs around. Um, and he was staying right in the middle there. And I was staying with him, which was awesome. You know, like the parkour passport was in <laughs> was in full effect. <laughs> I mean, especially with people like that. And one morning he was he said to me, or one evening he said, I'm going to train tomorrow. I'm going to do my regular training. And I'm just, he said, I'll, I'll wake you up early in the morning and we'll go for a run and some other stuff. So in the morning he woke me up and he put his shoes on. That's pretty much all he did. <laughs> like he had his short, shorts and shirt, uh, shoes on. I put my shoes on. I probably made sure that I wasn't going to go hypo. <laughs> that was probably part of it. So like five minutes, pretty much five minutes from getting up out of bed, out the door, jog down the road on the, on the, um, the out, what do you call it? The ring road sort of thing around the raised city and then up on the wall and jogging on the wall, doing some climb up reps on the outside of the wall. So when I say wall, it's a fairly sizable wall. Is meant to repel invaders, right? <laughs> yes. So climb up reps, repetitions, um, which I assume most of your uh, listeners oh, will. People can look up climb over that don't know what it is. And then he would do some handstand uh, repetitions on the edge of, on the wall as well. I did them in a different way where I felt like I wasn't going to fall off. <laughs> so, um, and then some precisions. And then finishing with uh, sitting on the wall watching the sunrise mm. and doing some breathing exercises. And that was, to me, the first time I'd really experienced someone's such a dedicated approach to the training, so living it so fully. Um, not the only time, but that was a very good example of that sort of um, introduction or exposure to someone's personal uh, philosophy in training and um, yeah that was one of the examples that struck me about him and his approach and I guess that's that's why it uh, it stuck with it'll stick with me for a long for a long time and probably forever he had a, a number of sayings or things that he said which I still remember and try to um, try to what do you call it you know follow or recognize in my training. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. He, yeah, I was going to say he is, but you're right. He was a great guy. I didn't train with him that much, but did train with him a bit. So many places to go. Let's do something a little different, not because I want to change the mood, but just to go in a completely different direction. What would your, let's say people who know that you do art to do plasma and train like those kinds of friends, what would your friends say that your superpower is? 
balance. Mm-hmm. So um, that is my, I would call it my strong point. That's, that's my, I guess, my go-to practice um, when I'm looking to push the limits or looking to have a meditatory experience or to chill out, to relax, to experiment, balance is what I do. <laughs> Things that focus on the aspect of balance. So rails, um, things that wobble maybe, ropes, pillars, yeah. Interesting. I'm thinking of asking the question, what what do people get wrong about you? But that's a little, we've kind of, I think people get wrong about you would be, they would, you know, misunderstand. I hate to say handicap, but misunderstand the, you know, there's a bit of a, oh, by the way, you're attached to what you're doing when you're training and that they would miss that. Um, not notice it in the sense of miss that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, where, what do you, what's on your mind? Where do you want to go next? I think, I, I think I could, I've got something for that question. What people might misunderstand. Yeah. What do people get wrong about you? Um, well, in my training, I would say people don't understand the, the community and the, the sharing aspect of what I'm doing. Hmm. I'm trying to integrate that more and more. I'm not sure that I'm doing it as much as I would like, but there is that aspect of um, when someone sees you training a lot. I think I've heard a lot of times in the past people will say things like, you don't know how many times I've trained this jump and that's why I can do it and therefore please don't worry for me because I I know what I'm doing. Um, But there's also uh, either complementary to that or in addition to that there's i have met people and i've trained with people and i've learned from them and we've shared and that's why i'm doing what i'm doing because all this comes from somewhere and then not just somewhere but someone so everything almost everything that i do is um inspired by someone else i feel like i'm not i'd like to be more creative and I feel like there's the potential for that. But actually, mostly what I do is derive very strongly from someone else. And I, th- and I hopefully face to face as well. That's, that's the best. I mean, you, you live it and you feel it. You feel what they felt when they did it. And then you bring it away with you and you make it your own, but it's not only your own. It came from them. And I think that's something that people miss when they see you training or where they, think what you're doing is parkour, what you're doing is larger to plus more, whatever. That's something I think people misunderstand. Sometimes I just want to press stop because anything I say will take away from what you just said. That's why I'm like, we have a pause there. Yeah. There's a metaphor of like going to a well. And every time I put the bucket in the well, it's like, oh, it's tasty, sweet water. And then at some point I'm like, I know that the well's going to run dry. So at some point I have to just stop or the conversation's would go on forever. This would be the point where somebody would need to stand up and go get like another tea or something. So maybe we'll just say that's a great place to wrap up for today. And I'll just say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Okay. So I haven't come up with an answer in advance. I have listened to your podcast. (laughs) It has become a thing. And thought to prepare. 
So I will come up with it. I did mention balanced. I did mention balanced, sorry. And I, I said that was my strong point. So I think I would like to say balanced and I'm not sure if it's entirely true. <laughs> and I think maybe someone can only ever strive for it. So mm-hmm. let's just say I'm striving for balance um, in uh, as many ways as that word is, is the uh, ways it implies, not just the physical you're in the middle on the rail, but also balanced in terms of um, not focusing too much on one thing, trying to keep a bigger picture, um, making sure that the, the, the mind is also taken into account, not just the physical, that sort of balance as well. That's what I'm striving for, I think. Um, what else? I think cautious is very, very much just <laughs> <laughs> um, in many ways, I suppose it is good, but in many ways, caution can be misplaced. And I feel like over the years, that's been a challenge of mine to not overdo caution. But I don't know, you know, I'm still here. I still have both the use of both my legs. So, you know, maybe it was the right amount. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cautious, cautious. Third thing to describe my training, right? Yeah, but you're allowed to choose whatever idea of the word training you like. So I think you're doing great. <laughs> I'd like to, I don't know, you might be able to help me with a word that describes this, but I've sort of touched on it already. And that is that I really like finding other sources, finding sources of inspiration and utilizing them and into integrating them into what I do. I suppose in, in a fairly natural way, like I don't, it's not like I, I don't really write it down. Mm. Sometimes I do write it down. Sometimes I write things down that I learn and I go back to it and I think, hmm, yep, that's a good thing. But generally speaking, I don't feel like I need to write it down. I feel like the people that I've met cause it to be remembered much more easily. So I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of a word that describes seeking people and their, and what they've got to show, what they've got to give, what they've, yeah, that sort of thing, what they've got to share, their energy um, and their passion and seeing if that can be applied in my own practice. And it's so far, it definitely is because that's most of my practice. So seeking. Seeking is time. I, I don't like to get involved in people's answers because they people say, I don't know what word to pick. And they always get to a word at the end that works. Seeking is really a good word to choose there. Seeking. Uh, either seeking or seeker or to seek. Mm. That is, you are not the first person to use that word. There are a lot of answers to that question. So, yeah, I think that's a super thoughtful I like those. I really like that because those three words are different kinds of ideas. Like they they highlight different aspects of who you are, sort of point in different directions. So yeah, terrific, awesome. It's everything I knew it would be. I I, this, I, I love this. I'm happy to get a chance to sit down, even though it is virtually, but 
one of the advantages of like, I used to only interview in person and then because of COVID this particular calendar year, it's been, okay, can't do that. Um, so it's forced me to like swallow my pride and start doing them virtually. And I'm like, that means I get to talk to Josh. Yes. So that works for me. Josh, it was a delight to get a chance to sit down and talk again. I'm glad that you continue to be in good health. I wish you the best of luck. Likewise. It's been, it's been awesome. It's great to see you again and talk to you again.